0: Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol made in Ireland. Contains paracetamol. Always read the label and leaflet.
1: Good morning. For one day only, Stormont was back. But, to the surprise of, well, no one, agreement could not be reached on the election of a speaker. For the DUP, the sticking point, the Northern Ireland Protocol. On late debate, Mick Fealty, editor of website Slugger O'Toole, joined Katie.
0: This ploy, this, you know, idea to threaten new elections to pressure the DUP back into the executive uh, failed pretty spectacularly, didn't, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and the, the, the thing is that all of this could have been foreseen. I think if the government party in Westminster hadn't spent most of the summer in, uh, deciding who was going to be their leader there may well have been some evasive tactics uh, or at least some time for evasive tactics. I I noticed that Rishi Sunak has basically put back his budget so that he can have some time to think about it. Something like that might have been more appropriate here. Although The legislation says the timing is up at one minute past midnight. They could, as they have done in the past, brought in emergency legislation and created a bit more space. In fact, actually, they do have more space to decide precisely what they're going to do afterwards. I think the fact that they haven't really betokens the fact they haven't really been thinking about Northern Ireland at all.
1: So, according to the rules, it's election time, most likely December. But, as of yesterday, no date set by Northern Ireland secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris. Because it is, frankly, an election no one seems to want, given that the last one was only held in May. And the protocol and the issues around that, not on the ballot paper. Well, with his analysis, Bertie Ahern joined Clare.
3: Having an election where it's not about a manifesto, it's not about a policy change that you can do anything about, and um, uh, and to come up with a result, and and you're in exactly the same position as you are now a few hours before uh, the election is called. I mean, it, it 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 doesn't say much for good democracy.
0: Yes, and six and a half million pounds sterling to be spent on that election. Yeah, and I, I suppose
3: the other big thing I should say, Claire, the the difference between last yesterday and today is they they now don't even have um, acting ministers. The acting ministers um, ended at 12 Mm -hmm. o'clock. So now there's no political system in Northern Ireland, whatever. It's now down totally to civil servants.
1: And of course, next year will mark 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement.
0: How frustrating is this for you all these years after the Good Friday Agreement to watch this sort of lacuna happen over and over and over again?
3: To, to be honest, it's incompetent. I mean, I, I unfortunately, I, I saw this coming because, I mean, I, I knew Geoffrey wasn't going to, to move. I mean, the idea that he was going to move because some Secretary of State, and we've had so many of them now, you're running out of remembering who was there at what time, but that he was going to change his position. He, ne- he never was, and that forces all the other parties into it into a corner, we it gets nobody anywhere. And we start in January, hopefully, with some serious negotiations. And you know, we, we know what are the issues, we know the problems. It's they've been rehearsed time and time again. But, you know, the British government can say what they like, but the, the reality clear is there hasn't been any negotiations for a full twelve months. Uh, it was just coming up to Halloween last year that the last meeting of substance was in Uh, And when all the musical chairs have been going on in in Westminster, the people in Northern Ireland have been left to swim. And I hope they notice that. I I do hope people in Northern Ireland, you know, see that that number 10, they're low on the priority. If you look down the list there, you'll see this morning BBC News, uh, the protocol isn't in the first 10 items. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's that's the way it is. And it's unfortunately and regrettable. And, um, you know, on, on goes the show.
1: Well, on Tuesday, Sammy Wilson of the DUP spoke to Cormac. Seems to
4: me now that you're running out of road here in terms of your position. Uh, It seems to me that you're running out of road. Your friends in the Tory party are turning against you. They no longer want part of uh, DUP politics and holding the electorate of Northern Ireland to ransom. That's the message that I'm interpreting from what Steve Baker is saying to you this evening, along with civil society leaders. Get on with it. Are you well, running out of uh, road and friends, I well,
5: wonder? Well, maybe, maybe you're just selective in the voices you listen to. The Prime Minister today, uh, the new Prime Minister today, has made it quite clear that, first of all, he, he wishes to see the protocol change that he, he will stand by the Northern Ireland Protocol bill, which will mean that the government will take unilateral action if we can't get a satisfactory arrangement with the EU. So the, the, the Prime Minister is saying and Steve Baker in fact only at the weekend was saying that if that was not done, that his the people he associates with in the, the, the Tory party would implode the government. So you know don't be, be don't be selective mm-hmm. in the white you, you have full faith and then
4: that, in, in Rishi that, Sunak to stand and, by the and, DUP's well, position, do you? No,
5: and that's exactly why we will not give up the leverage that, which, we, which we have at present. What leverage? Namely, that if, they, if the government wishes to see Uh, effective government in Northern Ireland again then they've got to deal with the very issue which is stop and which which is making government dysfunctional. So that's... But 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 that's not leverage.
4: That's holding people to ransom over a Democrat after a Democratic election,
5: surely? It was a Democratic election, that's right. And we made no secret of what our position would be after the election. Mm -hmm.
1: And he called out what he saw as double standards.
5: You know, this is the funny thing I find. Mm. When Sinn Fein did this over a tawdry Irish language act for three years, tawdry. I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any criticism from broadcasters in the Irish Republic. Mm-hmm. But when Unionists do this because they uh, of an action which will undermine our fundamental position within the United Kingdom, suddenly we get this clamour of voices from the well, Irish well, Republic. Well,
4: those vo- those uh, interviews did happen. You mightn't have heard them at the time.
1: Hmm, maybe not. So on they went and things heated up. I believe robust is the word.
5: Our whole point is that because unionists collectively have had their views ignored, the assembly is dysfunctional. They haven't been they, ignored. They have been, been heard. They, no, they've been they haven't been No, I think well you're you're mixing you're mixing ignored. up
4: it being ignored no. and being heard but disagreed with.
5: No, they've been heard and ignored because no unionist in the Assembly, agrees with the protocol, the impact it has on people's cost of living, the impact it has had on trade, the the, the distortion of trade, the impact it's had on businesses, and the impact, of course, which has on our standing within the United Business is telling you to get back uh, into Stormont. Not all businesses are telling us to get back who? on Who? Who isn't? Well, well I have had plenty of businessmen in my own name constituency them. who have told me to hold out Name them and, and, and not and not to be giving um give me a name be, not to be giving in. I've t- I've told you there are businessmen in my constituency. if you think I'm sure, gonna I don't start know them. if you think I'm gonna start naming individual businessmen uh, on on this Why uh, not? They
4: support your position, you claim.
5: Well they do they do support my position. Who are they? And, well, you're calling me a liar. Oh,
4: absolutely, no, but I'm, no, I'm no, absolutely I'm asking me a liar. Well,
5: I'm oh, you I
4: didn't say I'm lie, I didn't you. say you every were a liar. Day,
5: every day, I get businessmen who tell me stand firm because our businesses are being ruined mm-hmm. by uh, the protocol, and you've got to get the protocol changed, otherwise, our business is not going to survive. I...
1: The DUB Sammy Wilson with Cormac on Drive Time. And what, then, of the people living in Northern Ireland? On Wednesday's News at One, in Belfast, Colin Macaulay bought us this Vox
2: I'm wasted money. It's not got to make any difference. The, the DUP's still not... They'll find some excuse to go out and stay out. No, I wouldn't be happy with it. There's a lot of messing about going you know, on, you know, and
3: probably clear the decks, you know. That's my opinion, anyway. What these idiots will do is beyond
6: me. Just, I wish people would get sense... But how do they get sense? I mean, we've had all the problems with uh, Northern Ireland, with UK, and it's still impossible. Nobody knows how to make decisions.
7: Uh, do people think it will change anything? Uh, no, I don't think it will change very much at all. No, at all. So uh, yes, it remains to see when the 15th of it goes ahead.
5: I don't think it's going to make the slightest bit of difference. If the we're going to end up on um, after around Christmas with the same group of people in and Stormont. And it's just going to be exactly the same. The DUP are still going to um, stay away from the government, so I don't see what that difference will make.
1: Nevertheless, you're on a promise for an election for the Christmas. So far, anyway. And now to interest rates. And it is up they are going. The European Central Bank announced another hike on Thursday, up three-quarters of a percentage point in its key lending rate, its third increase this year. And although not unexpected definitely not welcome. Here's Will Goodbody on the news at one and the bad boy in all of this, not our Will of course, inflation.
8: Inflation now in the eurozone is running at almost uh, 10% here, it's over 8%. Uh, Energy is the big driver of much of that and unfortunately that can't really be controlled to any great extent in the short term. But the wider problem is that there are signs of a spillover of that into the wider economy and I guess that increases the risk of inflation becoming ingrained or entrenched. So really, the ECB has had little choice but to continue acting by raising rates to bring inflation back down towards its uh, target of 2% because, as we know, raising rates reduces the amount that consumers and businesses borrow and therefore spend, and that in turn then reduces the, the demand that drives uh, prices up. And if
1: you're lucky enough to have a house and are on a tracker that's going up. Variable? Well, very possibly. And with everything getting more expensive this is going to hurt. And deep breath? It's quite likely this is not the last hike. Not by a long shot. Here's Richard Curran of the business with Claire.
9: The question then is how high will they go? Some estimates are that they will peak around 3, three and quarter percent next year. But there are also uh, some other estimates suggesting no, it won't go as high as that because ultimately the ECB has to realise and acknowledge and balance the fact that it's probably heading into a recession. If it knows that the eurozone is heading into a recession, then do they really, really need to take money out of the system uh, and some of the heat out of the economy so aggressively? But at the same time, That recession hasn't quite hit yet but inflation is affecting people's income and their their buying power every day of the week right now Mm -hmm. so in a way claire it's a little bit like you know if you're driving a car and the car very slowly starts to head towards the ditch you make a little small correction to avoid that if you leave that too late the more forceful and the bigger the correction you need to make. Mm-hmm. And European, the European Central Bank and other central banks, by and large, were a bit slow to realise this whole, the, the severity of this inflation crisis and energy crisis, so they're having to move more aggressively. Yes. If you swerve the car too much to the other side, you, you overdo it and you panic, you can make the situation worse, mm-hmm. and, and that's what they're worried about, and they've got to get that balance right. Okay,
1: and, and yes, while the Eurozone is naturally on their radar, so too is the state of play in the US of A
9: inflation is at a 40-year high there. They've already done three 1% interest rate hikes. The last time inflation in the United States was this high, they ended up putting up interest rates by 9% back in the, the late 70s and early 80s. And what that does is it increases the value of the dollar if the Fed does that. We buy an awful lot of things in this part of the world that are priced in dollars, most notably energy and oil. so the the ecb will also be watching that one small glimmer of hope in relation to interest rates um is that for example there was some discussion that the that the 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 u.s fed might start to slow down the rate at which it's increasing rates and that would have a knock-on effect elsewhere canada for example did six rate hikes this year and they put up their rates by 3.5%. And they announced uh, just the other day that they were going to go with a bit less than was expected because they kind of think they're getting towards the end of that cycle. But unfortunately, that's only because they think they might run into a recession. So there's no good news here.
1: Wonderful. It's all over for now, though. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On the History Show, Kathleen Clark, a formidable woman, activist, businesswoman and the first woman to serve as Lord Mayor of Dublin. And yes, wife of Tom Clark who was executed for his role in the 1916 Rising. And she died 50 years ago this year. An opportunity for Liz Gillis, historian in residence at South Dublin County Council. And as it happens, researcher on the History Show to tell us all about Kathleen's life. And what a life. Born in Limerick, revolution was bred in the bone. Her uncle was John Daly, who had been in prison with Tom Clark.
10: John Daly, when he, he returns, he is just talking about Tom Clark, Tom Clark, Tom Clark. And she just wants to meet this Tom Clark because John Daly has, he just talks about him so much. And then Tom Clark is released in 1899. And he calms down to Limerick, you know. Daily lays on this big spread, you know. He's welcoming this this, this hero. This is
2: somebody who has been very badly treated in a, for a long period in prison. Doesn't look great. Let's face no, it. No, rattled.
10: No, and Kathleen talks about this, and it's so funny, um, because she's literally been hearing stories for the last three, four years, and what she is sort of creating in her mind in Sean is Sean Connery. This, yeah, Republican Adonis, and. She is so disappointed when she actually meets him for the first time. And I just, I've done a quote from you from our book, and she says, It was my first time meeting him. I was keenly disappointed. His appearance gave no indication of the kingly heroic qualities which Uncle John had told us about. There was none of the conquering hero which I had He was emaciated and stooped from the long imprisonment and hardship. As I came to know him, his appearance recedes into the background and the man Uncle John had portrayed was revealed. By the time he left Limerick to join his mother and sister in Clamainham, we'd become intimate enough to agree to correspond with each other. So she sees beyond the, you know, the, the looks and, you know, after what he had endured for 15 and a half years, you know, it would age anyone.
1: But married, they got, and theirs was a union cemented by their shared commitment to Irish Republicanism. Kathleen runs the Irish Freedom newspaper and is a founding member of Common Mawn. Busy is not the word.
10: She has another two kids. She's running two tobacco in a shop. She's involved in what Tom's getting involved but And then she's, um, you know, involved in the women's revolutionary movement as well.
2: I can imagine that when, on, you know, the Easter week, the week of the of the Rising, and uh, Tom Clark is heading out the door to take part, that she would want to be with him. She would want to have a rifle in her hand. She <laughs> would want to be by his side. It, would that be the case? Or, oh, yeah. He, presumably he tried. he had to... Dissuade
0: her.
10: Yeah, um, and I just I just often think what would it have been like if Kathleen Clark had been in GPO or a Moore Street. I don't think they would have surrendered. She wouldn't <laughs> have left them surrender. And as we know,
1: militarily at least, the rising ends in failure,
10: prison and for Tom Clark,
1: execution
10: if you can imagine like if, if, if it was me you know and I get to see the love of my life one last time I would be running up to the place and and she goes to Clamainham jail and the cell door is open and she starts to like have like berating for you know why did you surrender you told me you weren't going to surrender but pretty much I thought I'd never see you again and he got her standing in front of me and he's then trying to explain to her well I didn't want to surrender they sort of made me surrender there was vote taken on it and what you see in those moments like this is a real marriage that's that's happening in front of you despite the fact he's going to get shot like in a couple of hours that's on the sword of May and Tom is executed and she's back in Kilmainham that night um, because Ned Daly who was commandant of the garrison the forecourts 25 years old he's executed ...on the 4th of May. Now, she couldn't tell Tom that she was pregnant... ...because she didn't want to unnerve him. She's like, when she sees him in the cell... ...it's like he is prepared to go to his death... ...and maybe if he knew, would he try to get clemency... ...or the sentence reprieve... ...but she couldn't do that. What he had endured for 15 and a half years... ...she couldn't do that to him again. So, Ned is executed on the 4th of May. Her Uncle John, who was traumatised... ...at the loss of Tom Clark, Ned Daly... And Sean McDermott. if she loses Sean McDermott as well, he's executed on 12 because he was like a a son to her. And then she lost her baby as well. So Mm -hmm. that massive loss that she's endures, she has to put that to one side because Tom had a role for her and she had to do what he'd asked her to do.
1: And that role was to organise and continue to fight for Irish freedom, which she does. And in 1918, she ends up in prison with Maud gone. And sharing a
10: cell with Countess Markovic.
2: she didn't like the Countess. Are you certain didn't like her at this at this point?
10: No, uh, the Countess really gets on on airs. Um, so if we think back to nineteen sixteen, like Kathleen Clark is just. You know, she's, she's, she has terrible worries on it because she was rent from her children in 1916. She's rent from her children in 1918. And, you know, she is constantly just trying to find out where her kids are. Her kids OK. Who has them? And then Kenton Markovich just keeps swanning into her cell. And um, Countess Mark, which is so on point, and, and she keeps flicking her ash, and this is something that really gets on Kathleen's nerves, and eventually she bars her from her cell because she's not respecting Kathleen's wishes. And then you've got these scenes, you know, you can. Pick it and she writes, she writes all this in, in a it. series
2: of letters, which are very, very so, funny so
10: vividly, and you just have to laugh. And you can imagine, mm. like, because Countess is this woman, you know, who's quite prepared to die, but you know, won't take on Kathleen Clark, you know. So it shows the personality, and um, but then a, a real friendship. Emerged between the two women because when they are released, Countess goes to live with Kathleen Clark. So, she, you know, when, one thing about Kathleen Clark is like, there's your boundaries. Don't cross those boundaries because if you do, I will let you know. And that's what you see with Kathleen through her life. <laughs> but poor Countess Markovich um, suffers the wrath of Kathleen. <laughs>
1: You wouldn't mess with her But she continues Trying to better the lives Of Irish citizens With her work as a TD And Senator And in 1939 She becomes The first woman Lord Mayor of
10: Dublin
2: But she won't wear the chain Because it's, it's King Billy's
10: yeah, so oh god, again here's Kathleen coming <laughs> in for her own, and um, being Kathleen. So you have to, she won't wear the robes, um, she won't wear the chain. So you have to, she has to get her own chain of office. But she also redecorates the mansion house, and the first thing to go is the portrait of Queen Victoria. Like Jordan, her her. There was still a
2: portrait office. of Queen Victoria in the mansion house in
10: 1939. Oh yeah. Good yeah. God. And it makes the papers. And while she's prepared to leave the portraits of the Lord of Tennis there... So she feels like they're just minions of the Queen. Um, no, Queen Victoria, she has to go.
1: Telling you, no messing there. What a woman. That was historian Liz Gillis on the formidable and impressive Kathleen Clark. Oh, and last month, the council chamber at City Hall unveiled a portrait of Clark on the anniversary of her death 50 years ago and staying with issues of activism, protest and paintings, Liveline revisited Soup on the Sunflowers, the recent Just Stop Oil protests. And this week, Junior Minister for the Green Party, Oshin Smith, said that with paintings behind glass, this kind of action was a really effective thing to do to highlight our climate emergency. Joe Duffy opened the faders for what turned out to be a very sparky discussion. The opening few callers certainly... Not into it. I think it's a
3: very peculiar thing for a, an elected representative to advise young people to commit acts of vandalism.
2: Uh, Throwing tins of beans on, on art is not, it's criminal damage. It's something that I, I believe the minister will want to walk back. If he doesn't, I think there there would have to be questions asked.
11: What type of questions asked?
2: Well, how tenable is, is the position of a minister who,
3: who promotes criminal damage? It's about these guys burning their own paintings. If you go out and hit your car with a sledgehammer, that's your car. Yeah, OK. But you don't go and hit my car with a sledgehammer, because that's vandalism. So Van Gogh doesn't tear up uh, a torn or whatever. He tears up his own. And if somebody, usually usually upper-middle-class students with nothing better to do but spend daddy's money, go out and uh, call this type of vandalism. I don't mind peaceful protests. Go out and demos. been you know, on loads of demos. <laughs> but I don't see how damaging a painting will change anyone's mind about anything.
1: However, not everyone agreed.
12: Um, Joe, I think the point has been missed, very much missed. OK, well then you, um,
11: you'll direct us, I'm sure.
12: Well, you see, it's, it's nothing to it's. it's the action isn't what it's about. It's to highlight where we're at. We're in serious trouble. We had a lecturer in 1974 at college left Rolls-Royce in England because he said we cannot keep flying aeroplanes. It's that serious. I haven't flown this century to show how serious we are. Um, there's approximately 10,000 glaciers on the planet okay,
11: at I the mean, moment. Yes, but, um, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is a minister saying it is an effective way to protest, throwing tins of beans at valuable paintings.
12: No, it's to highlight an issue.
11: So what you, he said is so, it's so to you, highlight the
12: issue so, of the serious, where we're at on this planet. So, 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 what, so very quickly. So, there's, Eamon,
11: Eamon what, OK, if it doesn't highlight the issue enough, obviously, which it hasn't, by. by uh, Throwing whatever on the Van Gogh. What should they do next to highlight the issue?
12: <laughs> I, I, look, I'm not a debating person, but look, look the, si- the situation is extremely serious where we're at. It's okay, environmental okay. issues they're trying to raise. And okay, it, so you're it, saying
11: anything justifies that?
12: But they didn't do anything. It's just that they're supposed to be glass over. It's the highlight no, say we need this, to
11: highlight. Say this. Say what I'm, we're talking, the minister is saying it's an effective way to protest. You agree with the minister?
12: No, no, it's, it's highlighting an issue.
11: Yeah, but there's no there's no crime in saying I agree with the minister. Why don't <laughs> neither, you say I agree with him? It's neither here nor there. It's well, that's look, what we're talking about. it's here nor there because he is a government minister. And for more on that, here's Ray. Would you throw cans of paint, cans of beans, over valuable paintings?
3: Well, I I certainly would, yeah. I mean, what okay. point?
11: Well, why like, don't you? But
3: where's where is why the guy done? Why don't well, you? No, Sorry Joe, if you why, now why
11: don't you why don't you I asked you a question you agree you agree with young people you agree with young people question. Uh, yeah the answer the question then
3: you me to follow it up with answer, an answer what
11: is your answer to the question would you throw What's, beans on a the painting
8: point? will we be able to walk together No I'm asking this, this, this you you're time? encouraging
11: the minister is encouraging He's addressing young people he's encouraging impression well, young people you're missing the point Joe No I'm not missing the point Are you not what is the point
2: the point is like is that where we're we're the planet is, is at crisis point that we yeah. mightn't be around in a hundred years' time. Well, what's that got as, to do with... Tr- as with, with as form, what's that got gone. to do with vandalising so, like, valuable works of art? Worrying about the value of a priceless painting is it? it's of no consequence anymore. No because consequence. The world, because the planet,
3: all our systems okay. are completely falling apart at that okay.
11: point. Okay, so life is of no consequence. Living is of art no consequence. Is of no
3: consequence if there's no life.
1: Ooh, all the big questions. And following that, Ben.
11: Do you, do you agree with the, well, I, th- I think he's a former Green Party person now said it was a PR win and then the minister saying it's an effective way to protest
12: well you're talking about it now Joe, aren't you I'd say that's a
3: fairly effective PR win
1: touche but then Joyce I'm actually a practicing
7: artist
3: okay.
10: and I'm
7: really upset about this I mean, I've done a lot of political work in my career, highlighting different issues, world issues, yeah. even wars and whatever. But I just think that triangling in art, how how is w- destroying a Van Gogh, or even attempting to destroy it, or making that statement going to change, not going to make any difference? But the
11: line... See, jo- no, Joyce, it? the line, sorry, I want you to address, is the line... Yeah. And yes. ben, is, ben is... It was Ben's opening line as well there. This is a PR win. This is what... This is how... That's the best way I've heard it articulated from the Green Party. It's a PR win.
7: I would expect more than PR win
1: and spin from the Green Party. Next up, Fiona, who agreed with the Minister's comments and then added this.
7: My point really is that I feel the the reason there's a problem here and there's an issue here and that we're all having this debate today is it's a huge generational issue. I mean, people are coming on the, on to talk today Mm-hmm. Are quite old, to be honest. Um, Hello, I have grandchildren. If you don't no, have I that time, what does that mean? What, you what does, does that mean? Do, but- no, I, I mean that who's, who's we feel quite, very uh, differently. The younger generation feels no, very differently the than most, the older generation.
11: No, hang I mean, on. I'm the, 50, most, the most... Not, uh, no, you obviously weren't I'm listening to the programme, Fiona. You're mi- you're misjudging people's age. Ray Morphy, who was on earlier. Did you hear Ray saying that the world has gone to hell in a handcart? Uh, life is more important to art, uh, and so yeah, art should be destroyed. I do yeah. agree on Ray, some Ray, levels. Ray, I've just I seen do. Ray's website. He's a fine-looking, handsome man. He's not in the first flush of Youth. So no. so to okay, simply enough, so to simply try and use these so, oh you see no you, you know you don't get away with that either, Fiona. I'm sorry. Okay. You can't just, you can't just uh wipe everyone off off the map with it's a generational no. thing. It's not a generational I'm not, thing. I'm
7: not and I don't That's want to be, be sensationalist here. Well it sounds like I'm not don't you be more you don't mind saying I'm saying okay, well, I'm just saying there is an element of that because younger people are doing these acts. I'm being called I out to protest with world Extinction Rebellion. They feel that it's been abused, and take like ministers, governments all over the world are just taking everything out of their country, abusing the situation, and everyone else is left to suffer and deal with the consequences. And basically, that's what's happening, and we know it. Everyone knows it
11: in Ireland has so happened we're back to this line everyone knows Perfect. it so we're all delusional yeah, but feel the younger generation Fiona, we, we, and Fiona, we, we, can I can just
7: say to you we've a, I we've been very impartial with this we've i don't a, think you're being impartial and you, you can
11: need you, to be you can Fiona, that you, you do, do you can take a complaint if you don't think I'm impartial and I can be reprimanded that's that's very very it's a broad transparent radio program it's all live nothing is recorded so you, no. so 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 you can you can make any no. complaint you, you make any complaint you want about me that's totally, so totally within, your, within your remit. Eww.
1: Live line on Thursday. And yesterday, Junior Minister Oshin Smith wrote back on those comments, saying that while the action undeniably generated debate around climate change, he was in no way advocating that anyone followed that example. However, a slightly different view is put forward by author and Guardian columnist George Monbiot, who joined Clare yesterday.
0: George, I wanted to ask you as well about these controversial climate protests that we have seen in recent weeks. This week, we had the climate activist who glued his head to the glass, which was protecting the world famous girl with a pearl earring painting. Where do you stand on these protests?
13: I I think it's essential that we start focusing people's attention on on the scale of, the magnitude of this crisis and most people just are completely switched off from it just don't understand what we're facing which is a collapse of earth systems and you know these activists are acting out of desperation they can see that governments aren't paying attention to the issue um, citizens as a whole aren't paying attention to the issue something has to wake us from our stupor and so you know i can i know why it's controversial i know why people get upset but I applaud what they're doing because I, I think it's it's like grabbing us by the lapels and say, Wake up, listen, see what's going on. Why do you think we're we are sacrificing our own liberty to to do these shocking things? It's because we could lose everything if we don't take climate action.
0: It's it's a desperate measure then, you're saying.
13: It, it is a desperate measure, and young people are desperate, and young people ought to be desperate.
0: Interesting debate. Back in a bit.
1: Welcome back. It is time to talk football, because yes, Team Playback is going to the World Cup, guided by Gavin Cooney of the forty two dot ie. And all week long, he joined Claire to give the lowdown on just how we got here,
0: Qatar, that is. Who decided on this for this year?
14: Yeah, so there were the FIFA Executive Committee, which were, uh, which was back then effectively the board of FIFA. 24 men and they were all men elected from the various confederations which are the continental uh, governing bodies so UEFA for Europe CONMEBOL for South America etc and the 24 of them uh, on the committee and they get the vote for uh, for the World Cup now subsequently after the fallout to this they've changed it and every member of FIFA now gets a vote which is probably a safer and um, better way of doing it Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was those well it was meant to be 24 men and then the Sunday Times secretly recorded two of these men offering to uh, take a bribe for their vote so they They were kicked off the committee just before, uh, so it went down to 22. And it was those 22 men that voted in a majority to, to send the World Cup to Qatar.
0: And of the remaining 22, lots of controversy around many of those people too.
14: Yeah, 11 of them at this point have been either fined, suspended, banned for life or prosecuted for corruption. So it's a bit of a rogues gallery at this point.
1: Lovely. The beautiful game, looking a little bit haggard and drawn. And then we have the human rights abuses
14: people became aware of the kafala labour system in the Gulf and also in operation in Qatar and also no World Cup would have ever needed as much construction as this one. I mean, eight stadia built an airport, uh, roads, a metro system, hotels. um, Yeah, so massively controversial. Uh, In 2021, I think it was, The Guardian published a report saying that 6,500 migrant workers had died in Qatar since the day the World Cup awarded and that's that's the entire migrant worker population. Uh, The Qatari government defended that with a kind of slightly chilling phrase that the um, the deaths are proportional to the migrant worker population. Um, and then we, we saw that the, uh, the Norwegian FA were asked by the grassroots members to vote on a boycott of the World Cup. They have uh, decided against that boycott and there's been other little uh, protests from countries around the world but no one's boycotting it.
1: But if, after all that, you're heading over, what can you expect?
14: It's going to be unlike anything else. I mean, you can see there's not as much anticipation or excitement among fans for this World Cup.
0: And Gavin, they have these fan zones set up. Yeah. What, what will they look like?
14: Sorry, I'm just at 15 pounds a pint. I'm going to lapse into productivity out there. Absolutely, the you're not. You're not having any of that. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's going to be fan zones. Um, they're FIFA organised and obviously it's FIFA sponsors only, so they're only going to be sa- serving Budweiser. Uh, there is one such fan zone you can get in, and it, um, I think it's seventy-five pounds, the equivalent at the door, and get in, and you're, you're still paying for your beer after that. What? Um, That's yeah. So, like, I was, I was just thinking, like, if the Qatari authorities want to justify uh, their attitude to alcohol among their local population, there's no great experiment than just giving them nothing but Budweiser for a month. You know that <laughs> that'll justify it. Um, sorry, I'm, be- I'm being unfair there. Yeah, there is. A-
1: and finally, behave yourself or else.
14: The line from the Supreme Committee is that there will be a lighter, lighter touch on everything and everything, you know, you know, within limits. You know, once you're not causing destruction, once you're not disorderly, etc., it will be lighter touch. But people don't really know how that will play out in real time. You know, I mean, it's grand for the committee to say one thing, but, you know, there'll be certain attitudes among security services and police on the ground. Is that automatically going to change? Now the police are um in Qatar have been working, I think, with police in the UK as regards and, you know, just to learn how to police a football crowd and how to how to protect them while also like de escalating everything. You know, don't act in such a way that might escalate things. You know, the police on the ground wouldn't be necessarily used to that because there is football in Qatar, but it's not followed by the kind of kinds of numbers that it would be in Britain, in Western mm-hmm. Europe and in South America. I, I know we didn't qualify, but at least our first ever World Cup or first in decades wasn't in In Qatar, you know, like, Joxer Goes to Doha is a much shorter song.
1: (laughs) Wow, fun times ahead. We might go with the cricket. From Spoken Stories, Creatures of the Earth, this extract from Near Adelaide by Christine Dwyer Hickey.
6: The day before she left for school, Lou spoke to her again. He was counting logs off the back of a truck in the far yard. She sneaked up behind him and waited. I know you're there, Lou said. Then he reached into his pocket and gave her a folded piece of paper. You didn't get that from me. On the airplane, her father gave her the window seat. He leaned across her, pointing down at things. Forests that supplied the trees for his timber yard, hills and an endless highway, and swirls of dried-up riverbeds. They looked down at the different shapes and shades of desert. When they crossed the red centre... He showed her Alice Springs and said they were halfway there. She nodded her head and pretended to listen. She thought how big Australia was compared to the tiny country on the map Lou had given her. And if Ireland was that small, Dublin must be tiny. And if Dublin was tiny, it should be easy to find someone there. You'd probably just bump into them walking along the street.
1: Near Adelaide from Sunday's Spoken Stories. Now, playback listeners, always on trend. But just in case, take note of the emojis not to use to preserve that effortless cool. Take it away, Brendan.
8: The top five emojis that make you look old, from number five is the poo emoji. Number four is the tick emoji. Number three emoji that makes you look old is the OK hand. Number two, the red love heart emoji. And number one, the number one emoji that makes you look old, which is very harsh, is the thumbs up Emoji, they're very harsh. Are they too harsh?
2: They are a little harsh, certainly. And again, this
1: is... The emoji overlord there is Keith Broney, editor of Emojipedia. Yes, for such a thing does exist. And a thumbs up. What is wrong with that? Oh, where to begin? You passive-aggressive person.
2: It's not to say it's definitively passive-aggressive in all circumstances. That's kind of a misreading of the situation. If it is the end of a very positive text message, hey, that's no problem. I'll pick up the kid. Thumbs up? Absolutely (laughs) fine. People are finding it passive-aggressive when it's used on its own to respond to, say, a message that the person who wrote the previous message felt required a little bit more of an engaged response. Yeah. You know, if someone's like, here's something very important. Could you give this a read over? Um, like, I'm just worried about how I framed certain things. And you <laughs> yeah. just give it a thumbs up. That seems a little bit low effort, a little bit disinterested.
8: Right. OK.
2: When there's so many other options there.
8: OK. So actually, that is that key? Try not maybe answer with one emoji because that can be misinterpreted.
2: I would not send an emoji just on its own as a response unless it's very, very clearly a reference to what has happened before in a really playful, positive sense.
14: Oh, that's very uh, good. If it's
2: something that's a just kind of like, I have seen this, I have, and, and it's going more like end of conversation mark as opposed to continuing the conversation, it can be construed as very low effort
1: and no one likes low effort but then hearts and you might be thinking a hearts a hearts a
8: heart oh no
2: everyone uses red heart but there's purple heart there's blue heart let's let's really get playful with the emoji keyboard
8: everybody who knows me knows that pretty much every text i send has three red hearts is that too intense is that kind no, of stalker three is is fine. Is that stalker seven, territory <laughs> Seven would be a lot three i think is fine
1: or go wild and just fill the screen it is a bank holiday with ray jeff kinney now, he has sold 275 million copies in his Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. But that is not stopping the Darcy from making him cringe.
15: When I hear you say diaper overload, I'm a little embarrassed <laughs> to be a grown man.
8: It, it doesn't hit as hard here because we call them nappies. So, OK, there we go. Yeah, so it's, it's sort of softened a little bit. And of course, <laughs> the, the name comes from Roderick, who is uh, Greg's older brother's band, doesn't it?
15: That's right. He's got a band called Loaded Diaper, and this is just getting more and more embarrassing for me by the moment.
8: <laughs> you love it, Jeff Kinney, because you 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 are the envy of all us adults. Because you you still play, you still play in a big way, and and live in a child's mind. It's brilliant. Um, you know that
15: it, it, it's really funny that you say that actually, because uh, you know this year I'm going out on tour with with a rock band, and you know we've got a giant ten foot inflatable baby on the stage. We're playing. <laughs> rock music we've got fog machines and I'm like man I could have I could have dreamed this up when I was like 15 years old and now at 51 like I can actually make it happen you're it's making great. it
1: happen now that is the job to have but on with the show because as Ray put it the,
8: the best questions for you Jeff Kinney don't come from me they come from your fans
1: and what fans super cute
14: hi my name is Ruben great. I am 7 I really like Diary of a Wimpy Kid. What
8: were your favorite books
15: when you were seven? Uh, That's a great question, Ruben. Oh, boy, there was an American author named Judy Bloom who wrote books called Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and Freckle Juice, and she wrote books where I could see myself. And I think it's really important that you have books where you can see yourself. I think it's really important for everybody to be able to read about characters who look and, and act like them.
1: And the questions just kept on coming, but hitting peak awe... Sarah:
8: Hi.: Yes, yeah, say hello to Jeff. Hello.: <laughs> What age are you, Sarah? I'm 10. 10. right. Um, uh, how many of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books have you read, do you think? All of
12: them?
8: All of them. right. OK. Wow. so you must be really looking forward to diaper overload. Uh, what do you want to oh, say?: very. What do you want to say to Jeff?
9: Wow, um, you're such an amazing author, and I've read all your books and enjoyed every one of them thoroughly. They're so good.
8: <laughs> that's a, you, well, that's cool. That, that's, well, that's brilliant. I, um, do you want There's say no question, about I love there's, it. There's, there's no question. It's just a comment, and it's a lovely comment. Yeah. Uh, so, Marianne, Marianne, is your sister. Does she read Jeff's books as well, Sarah? Uh, well,
9: yes and no. She has this thing called a Tony. And she listens to audios of ah, them, yes. but she still enjoys them. Oh,
8: ah, brilliant, brilliant. Who do you want to say hello to now that you're on, Sarah?
9: My cousins, Fiona, and, me and Una, my lovely Granny and granda, and my daddy.
8: Okay, we're going to send you out a copy of the new book, and you're invited to come along and see Jeff and the band on Monday, the 14th of November, in the RDS in Dublin. That's great. Isn't Nowhere. It? Yeah, way, Nowhere. way, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, I love you. That's Sarah Healy from Cavan and Bell Turbot. Oh,
1: so dinky! But we have not hit our cute kid quota just yet.
12: Hi, my name is Luke. I'm six years of age. I'm gonna dress up as a vampire. August Tagaloa Loads of sweets.
0: So under the scary cape, there will be a sweet bag.
12: My name is Rosie and I'm five and I'm going to dress up as Batgirl and I'm going to eat loads of treats and and I watched a movie about her and I ate lots of popcorn and a fruit juice and some jelly and
14: a whole packet of crisps. Hi, my name's Liam and I'm in second class and I'm seven and a half. I like lollipops, jellies. Mm-hmm.
0: Double-deckers. OK, I'm giving you a choice. between an apple and a double-decker. Which are you picking? A uh, double-decker. Yes, of course you are.
14: Hi, my name is Tyga Riley, and I'm in second class. My mommy usually makes the costume. She's actually really good. And this year, I'm going to be the killer class. <laughs> Tell me
0: your favourite things to get from your neighbours when you're out trick-or-treating. Mm, Mowams,
14: lollipops, yeah. marshmallows.
0: Chocolate, no instant chocolate, no?
14: No, I have a big interest in chocolate, loads of chocolate. If you give me a double-decker, that'd be I'd be excellent. your
0: favourite neighbour.
14: Yeah. Hello, I'm Sean.
0: Sean. Which Sean are you? I'm Sean Deed. And you've got a sticker on your head of a spaceship. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your favourite thing to get when you go trick-or-treating? Drumstick lollipops. Specific, I like it, yeah. Fudge. Fudge. Broccoli? No. An onion, if I gave you an onion. No.
1: <laughs> Evelyn O'Rourke at The Onion Pusher. Well, that is it from this week's Playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.
4: I was working in the lab late one night when my
0: eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster...